Charnel here with a special announcement for 2023. If you have ever considered joining our Patreon to help keep us on the air, now is the time to click the link in the show notes and make it happen because we're committing more of our energy and resources into exclusive content like we have never done before. Of course, we will continue to bring a case each week released on Sundays for free, available anywhere you listen to us, and just listening and following us on social media helps keep us on the air. But through Patreon, we are now offering our $3 a month members early access to ad-free weekly cases plus one bonus episode a month. Our $5 a month Patreons enjoy early access to ad-free weekly cases plus two bonus episodes a month. And our $10 a month Patreons enjoy early access to ad-free weekly cases and five bonus cases, including a Brain Bath only episode each month. I'm sure you understand the need to give the most content to those who provide us with a way to buy books for research, pay for our monthly platform and website fees, and compensation for the time and energy it takes to do such deep research. We love and appreciate all of you for listening, enjoying our hard work each week. You can join below through the link in the show notes or go to patreon.com forward slash crime curious podcast. Thank you so much for your time. We have big plans for 2023. Keep it curious. Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into true crime cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of true crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And let's start off right with our shaking, Megan. We have only good juju moving yep. forward. Yep. We've been on a, a good streak, a good recording streak today. Well, this because like we have been episode. consistently practicing our voodoo. Yes. We're catching up from our holiday, being off for the holidays. So. Well, thank you for letting us get a little break. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you today about Anne-Marie Burr. Okay. I think you're going to be really fascinated by this one. Uh, just to warn everybody, this is a child abduction case. Um, if that triggers you in some way, might not be the episode right. for you. Not a lot of gory details. Don't worry. Okay. We don't have to do trigger alerts for that or anything. Um, it's actually still unsolved. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, then everybody listen. Yes. We want you to listen to unsolved cases because yes. we want you might know Answers. someone sometime. All right. Well, I'm sorry if you're all triggered. You're not allowed to stop or press pause. <laughs> right. So go get yourself a blankie, make yourself some tea, and sit here and take it like I'm going to. That's right. All your comfort items be whatever they whatever are. Whatever they may be. Mm-hmm. Born on December 14th, 1952, Anne-Marie Burr grew up with her middle-class parents, Beverly and Don Burr, and her three younger siblings, Julie, Greg, and Marie, in Tacoma, Washington. They were said to be a really just normal, classic, strong Catholic Catholic family, and they lived a, in a quiet, friendly neighborhood. Just a typical American family. The really. American family. Mm-hmm. Anne and her siblings had friends in the neighborhood, and Beverly taught the children that the world was a good and safe place. When you grow up in some place like that with that kind of family, that is what you think. Right. Well, and Beverly later told um, the Seattle Times that she regrets this because Anne was so trusting. And she feels like, as a parent, she did not really set Anne up to know about the world's evils. 
And this was actually a quote from her. It was a big mistake. We taught her everyone was good. We didn't teach them that people could be bad. And I still think her abductor was probably someone she knew, end Mm. quote. But that's not, raising kids to find good in people and to think the world is good is not a bad thing either. It's not. And there are appropriate ways to have conversations with your children about evils in the world too, without giving them too much detail. Without instilling fear in them. There's a right way to do it. Yes. So she had studied, Anne had studied piano for two years and she was being raised to be independent. And even that, like her independence started in kindergarten because she would walk several blocks alone to school every day. She was, her parents described her as being really intelligent. She was artistically talented and she was just an obedient daughter who didn't cause any problems at Mm. home. She didn't get into fights with her siblings. She could be trusted to walk blocks away at this point in time, you know, in society to her, uh, to school and to get there. She didn't skip school, anything like that. So I'm going to take you to the summer of 1961. Um, Beverly had started preparing her four children for the new and up and coming school year. She, uh, Anne was actually about to start her third, third grade year at Grant Elementary School. That's the grade my daughter's in. Mm Mm-hmm. So when she asked her mother if she could spend the night on August 30th, 1961, at a friend's house, Beverly said no, because she wanted her children to start preparing for the end of the summer, you know, the school year routine. I do it all the time. Yep. She wanted her to go to bed at the regular time and wake up at the regular time. This is your routine. Yep. So that she could transition better into the school year. So that night, the night of August 30th, 1961... Beverly and Don locked up their house on the 3,000th block of North 14th Street around 11 p.m. Don had put their Cocker Spaniel Barney out on the landing by the kitchen, and Beverly made sure that the front door was securely locked. Anne and her siblings were sent to bed around 8 p.m. by their parents. Earlier that night, um, Burr Anne had eaten dinner, at her friend's house, which then is when they called and oh, said, Oh, it happens all the time. Yeah. Oh, by the way, can, can I, spend I spend the night, the night here? Night? And she's like, no, you need to come home. Right. Yep. Even though it was Adorable. still summer vacation. Mm-hmm. I understand. Anne and her sister, Mary. Mary was three oh, at the time. Anne's the oldest. Anne is older. I don't know if she is the old. Yes, she is. Sorry. Anne is the oldest because she's eight. So Anne and her sister, her three-year-old sister, Mary, share a room upstairs while her brother Gregory was five and her sister Julie (laughs) was seven, they shared a bedroom in the basement of the home. At some point in time during the evening, several members of the house reported hearing their pet Cocker Spaniel Barney barking. He was barking a lot throughout throughout the night. In the early morning hours of August 31st, Anne woke her parents in their First floor bedroom. So Anne and Mary are sharing a room upstairs. upstairs. Parents' bedroom is on the middle, you know, on the main floor. And then Gregory and Julie are sharing a bedroom in the basement. So Anne had actually came downstairs to her parents' bedroom to let them know that Mary, her three-year-old sister Mary, was crying because Mary had recently uh, broken her arm and her arm was in a cast. Oh, And so she was uncomfortable and crying and so... Mary thought that, or Anne, excuse me, Anne thought that her mom should probably help Mary, you know, with with that. Their mother, Beverly, this is the early morning hours of August 31st. 
soothed Mary before sending both girls back to bed. And she doesn't exactly remember what time that was. Sure. You don't remember that stuff when you get woken up out of a dead sleep at right. you know, 4 a.m. or something. Yes, it was something like that. But she does, she does recall and know that there was a bad summer storm happening, which is probably what woke Mary up to begin with. Yep. So Don and Beverly went back to sleep. They are not sure what time it was, but they recall that there was a storm going on outside. And that was the last time that either one of them would see their oldest daughter. Oh, God. Yes. Parents' worst nightmare. Uh Around 5 a.m., Beverly woke up with a really bad feeling. Oh, what's that mama, that sixth sense? It is. It is. It is our intuition. Don't. Everyone should follow their intuition. We are literally given to it, giving it, given it for a reason. And I think as humans, we've really evolved away from it. Like we're not supposed to listen to it. No. How do you think we've survived? Right. Come on. This is how we keep our our small people alive too. Yep. Listen to our intuition. So she woke up. She had a bad feeling. She checked on all of the children. And she found that Anne was not in her bed. The bed that she shared with Mary. Yes. The bedroom that she the, shared with Mary. The bedroom Mary. that she shares with Mary. The rest of the family was still sleeping. And she discovered that a window in the living room that usually was kept like open a little bit of, of a crack for the TV antenna wire. Yeah. It was fully open. Oh. Okay. So the house is locked, but there's this small crack in the window always to allow the TV antenna wire to go through it. Yeah. Well, now this living room window is fully open. Is it wet? Had it been raining? It, it has been it the storm? raining. Yep. More alarmingly, Bev found that someone had placed a garden bench beneath the window oh, to, to gain access. Up. Then the front door, which she knows she locked during the night, as she always does, was open. That's how they got out. Yep. There was also grass from the yard inside in the living room. So she frantically gets her husband up. They're searching for Anne. She actually says to the media that she knew immediately when Anne wasn't in her bed and she saw that front door and that window open, she knew immediately that she was never going to see Anne again. She really? Mm-hmm. She knew. She woke up with the feeling. Yes, exactly. Upon searching the home, law enforcement noticed um, that there was a little table of figurines beside the open living room window had actually been undisturbed. Hmm. There's these tiny figurines by this table. This person stealthy, stealthily, if that's a word, yeah. get, got in without disrupt, disrupting those figurines. So in, and they're like, you know, that's odd because it seems like they entered the home this way. So how did they, you know, do that? Unless maybe they were small in statue. Okay. Stature, not statue. So, yeah, small stature. Stature. Okay. Yeah. So a faint footprint was near the overturned bench outside because it had been raining, right? So there's this this footprint. Law enforcement estimated the shoe that made the print was likely a Keds sneaker around size six or seven. That's a small foot. Exactly. Almost as if this would be from a, a small person. A similar footprint was found in the back of the house by the basement window. Oh, like somebody knew where these kids slept. Right. They collected a red thread from the windowsill as well. Um, None of Anne's clothing or any other personal items from the family were missing from the home. So it was determined that Anne had to have left the residence wearing only her blue nightgown. 
She also had a chain necklace with an engraved medal of Jesus and the Virgin Mary and an identification tag and a medal of um, St. Christopher. Okay. Those are things that she wore. St. Mm-hmm. Christopher medical, med, uh, mm-hmm. medals are for protection, protection. for travelers. Mm-hmm. There was <sighs> no sign of a struggle in her room, which is important to me. Because it makes me wonder, too, if she knew her abductor. Absolutely. That's already the gut feeling I have. Right. On the morning. Was it another child? Was it her friend's older sibling who would have had a small, like all of these things are going through my head right now. Yep. And we will get to theories. Okay. And you're going to find it, I think, very interesting, Megan. On the morning that Anne was reported missing, there were 100 soldiers from Fort Lewis as well as 50 National Guards from um, Camp Murray that aided local police in the search for her. They, I mean, right away We've got seen this onto before. this. It's mm-hmm. amazing that they came to assist. By 11 p.m., over 75 square blocks surrounding Anne's residence had been searched, included, including wooded areas, but no sign of Anne was found. So then they had dive teams search, f- and but found nothing in bodies as well. of water mm-hmm. in all the local bodies. Did of they water. search the neighbors' homes? All I keep thinking is that case that you brought me, where she was dead across the street. Right. I don't have that information. I know that they oh. interviewed all the neighbors. Yeah. Due to the lack of concrete evidence indicating that an, an abduction had occurred, the FBI only assisted the case on a standby sure. basis. So a report submitted in the days following Anne's disappearance came from neighbors who heard screaming emanating from a vehicle with California license plates on the morning that Anne went missing. However, the driver of this vehicle was located and they explained that the noise had merely come from the radio and it was mistaken for screaming. Mm. So, and there was no sign in that van. Of a struggle or, or that yep. she had been in it. Yep. On September 8th, 1961, Donald and Beverly voluntarily took a polygraph in response to rumors that they had withheld information in their their daughter's disappearance. It's always hard. Yep. Both were found to be truthful in all of their responses. Right. They do suspect parents first on some of those cases. They do. Yep. Or other siblings. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, the following day, Anne's maternal grandmother, Roy uh, Mrs. Roy Leach posted a $1,000 reward for missing for information leading to the discovery of her granddaughter. And the reward was then increased to $5,000 after allocation of additional funds came through. Because of this, shortly after that, uh, there was a man who made a ransom threat, but he turned out to be an opportunist who had nothing to do with her disappearance. You and people. he was charged with disorderly conduct. Yeah, maybe obstruction would have been a better charge on that. Right. Talk about trying to mess up an investigation because you're looking for some type of notoriety. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, get some help, man. They interviewed over 1,500 people the first 12 days of Anne's disappearance, Megan. They were I mean, in they a good time tried. Mm-hmm. The first 48 hours, right? There's a show. Yep. We all know. There, there is. And then, of course, they can excuse me, continued or followed whatever leads they had. So it sounds like the investigation was handled well at this point. Yes, absolutely. There's, and there's no information to indicate otherwise. Um, I mean, I think 1500 people in a matter of 12 days in the disappearance of an eight year old girl, that's, that is doing your job. Most definitely. On October 31st, 1961, law enforcement interviewed 31-year-old Hugh Bayan Morse, an ex-Marine and a suspect in 
um, um, actually a different murder, a 1959 murder of a nine-year-old girl named Candy Rogers in Spokane. In June 1962, an employee at a gas station in uh, Portage La Prairie, Manitoba, Canada, directly across from the U.S. border from Grand Fork, North Dakota, told law enforcement that he saw a girl who appeared to be Ann Burr, accompanied by a man and woman who spoke a little too sharply to be her parents. And the employee claimed the girl mentioned that she was from Tacoma. Oh. So that was reported and followed up on. And then in the winter of 1964, so this is, you know, now, what, three years later, law enforcement attempted to arrest Ralph Everett Larkey in Portland, Oregon. Larkey had been accused of kidnapping a boy named Gay Lynn Stewart and was considered a possible suspect in Anne's disappearance, but he committed suicide with a pistol before police were able to apprehend him. So... Those, Nobody gets answers now from right, him. These are right. And he already he had kidnapped that that uh, boy Galen Stewart. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that he didn't have anything to do with Anne's and he committed suicide over the kidnapping of that boy. Right. Um, possibly, mm-hmm. but even that that boy whole different yes. case. It just frustrates me when that happens. So those seemed to be like their most prominent leads. leads that really didn't pan out to be able to go anywhere. Um, There were reports of three neighbors who claimed that they saw someone peering into the Burr's windows. On prior occasions or that evening? That evening. During the storm? Um, Or before the storm was in the middle of the night? Mm -hmm. And Don and Beverly recalled hearing strange noises in their yard during the night that whole summer. Like they just felt like, you know, and remember that night their dog... Um, Barney, I Barney. Think it was. It was Barney, I remember. Barked a lot throughout that night, but they thought it was because of the storm, sure. too. So, despite questioning thousands of people and launching the largest manhunt in Tacoma history, Anne Marie Burr was never found. So, um, as I said, her mom had, had said when I first saw that open window, I knew that I would never see her again. And she just had that strong feeling. She said when they were searching, she thought, what's the point? I know I'm never going to see her again. But as her time passed, or as time passed, and after her disappearance, and they, the police are weighing all their suspects, and they're tracking down these, these people. um, There was another teenage boy, Megan, living nearby, who had flunked and then passed a polygraph test. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. That boy was 14-year-old at the time, a 14-year-old boy named Ted Bundy. No fucking way. What did you just do? Buried the lead. He lived in the neighborhood. I am so many goosebumps right now. My God. If you don't know, Ted Bundy grew up to be a serial killer. Uh, One of the most famous, notorious serial killers uh, in the United States. Yeah. At the time that Ann vanished, he was 14 and he lived two miles away from the Burr family. Did they have any other connection to him? Sure did. Son of a bitch, Arnell. He was their paper boy. Oh my God. This this crime is solved. Ann Ann knew him. Not only that, but Anne had a liking for him and would chase him on his bike. Yeah, because down he was nice looking, mm-hmm. charismatic. Charismatic. Didn't he have like the floppy blonde hair? Mm-hmm. I don't know if he would have when he was 14. Yeah, I'm not sure what he looked like when he was 14, but. Holy shit. Yes. 
He delivered papers. Is she potentially in that the first Bundy victim? Yes, she is. But we cannot confirm. I have more details for you. Okay. So he worked as a paper boy. He delivered newspapers in the Burrs neighborhood. And um, his paper delivery route had, um, had him going by their house several times. Um, he also had a great uncle who he visited a lot. Um, this great uncle taught music at the University of uh, Puget Sound. Yeah. It's called UPS, which was located several blocks from the Burrs home as well. So he would have been around their home very you know, frequently the un, the sh- unknown size six or so shoe imprint found inside the window from which, you know, Anne was abducted would have been consistent with the teenage perpetrator. Correct. Mm-hmm. After his arrest in 1978, uh, there's a history link report that Beverly and Don Burr learned that Bundy had told investigators a chilling story about killing a young girl in an orchard. When Anne disappeared, the family had lived next door to an orchard full of apple trees and raspberry bushes. So Beverly reached out in 1986. She wrote Bundy directly and told him that she suspected him of killing Anne. And she wrote, quote, you will have nothing more to lose. You have nothing more to lose in this world. Will you write me regarding Anne Marie? End quote. Bundy swiftly responded and outright denied killing Anne-Marie Burr. Quote, he he wrote, quote, first and foremost, I do not know what happened to your daughter, Anne-Marie, Bundy wrote. I had nothing to do with her disappearance, end quote. But as History Links notes, Bundy often told a different story. Dr. Ronald Holmes of the University of um, Louisville School of Justice Administration claimed that Bundy had admitted that he had stalked strangled, and sexually mauled his first victim, an eight-year-old girl, <sighs> end quote. Yeah. Bundy also said he buried her in a muddy pit near the University of Puget Sound. Puget Sound. Puget Sound, sorry. I think I said it right the first time and then wrong the second time. You did, yeah. It's Puget um, Sound over in Washington. Where, so at that university is where his great uncle worked. Oh, Remember? and he found a place to bury her there. Right. So he would have been familiar with that because sure. he visited him at his uncle's work frequently. And furthermore, Don Burr, Anne's father, okay, remembered seeing a suspicious younger boy who sm- was smirking in that area, in the University of Puget Sound area, while they were searching for him or for her. Because he was out. Right, revisiting the scene, probably even a part of the search party, Megan. Potentially. We know they did that. We know they do that. mm -hmm. I'm not sure if Bundy joined search parties. I can't remember. I don't know. I I mean, I know about uh, his case and have watched all the shit and stuff, but I I don't recall that detail right now. But um, So Don did, Mr. Burr, did urge the police to search the site, but the problem is, is that the ditches were t- were really soonly after her disappearance were filled in as part of the university's construction, and there's now like a full on bunch of buildings yeah, there's over buildings that over. area. Mm-hmm. There's all types of um, X-ray equipment and machinery that one might be able to yep. use through concrete to locate now. But back in the eighties, right? Not in when the they 80s, were when yeah. they were when this information came to light, and they're putting these pieces together. Because remember, this happened in the sixties. Yeah. They, you, I'm my mind is just blown right, right now. Still, I can't get over this. So, though the Burr family hoped that 
Ted Bundy would make a last-minute confession. He did not, and he was executed on January 24th, 1989, without saying any more about Anne-Marie Burr. So since then, her family has been left to wonder if she was, in fact, Bundy's first victim. In 2011, some of Bundy's blood was even tested against tiny amounts of DNA that was found at the Burr family home. But the reports, the results were inconclusive because the amount of DNA from that they got at the time in the 60s from Burr's home was so minuscule. Right. Um, Which may, I mean, that makes sense. Right. But yeah, isn't that a crazy story? Like I had never heard that there was potentially a victim from his childhood. Yeah. Like. I know she's a doll. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had never, I and I don't want to cover Ted Bundy. Everyone covers Ted Bundy. Oh, of course, and, but you but still this, shocked like, me. Yeah, I was going for the shocker. You know, you know, I like to administer the shocker. We don't have a ton of evidence in this case, or he would have been linked to it mm-hmm. clearly, like you'd be able to mm-hmm. look it up and she'd be listed as a victim. But man, there was um, means, motive, and opportunity. opportunity. Yeah, well, and you want to know why I think that after he was caught, that he wouldn't be, you know, like, like Anne's mom said, at this point, you've got nothing to lose. So just tell me what happened to my daughter. First of all, it's power and control. Yeah, but we have people, they hold on to it. They do. Yes. They get off on it. But also, I don't think that he wanted people, he was not known for killing children. Right. And so I think But he was a child. I think that was a, a, a shadow part of himself that he wasn't willing to admit to the world that he had in within him. Like he's a bad guy and he's terrible and he did all of these things to women, but he's not a child murderer. Um, but he did disclose at some point that when he was 14, did in a, he in a, murdered an eight year old. So was yep. this in some type of maybe like a, a psychiatric appointment it or was. a th- therapeutic appointment? It was, um, to me, that just holds more weight than a media interview. Mm-hmm. And Ted loved him a media interview. He did. He absolutely did. So he, um, this was in, to go back, he told that to, there's some notes to a Dr. Ronald Holmes, University of Louisville School of Justice Administration. Yes. He That's where he works now. Um, and he admitted that he had stalk strangled and sexually mauled his first victim, an eight-year-old girl. That I think she absolutely fits. is his first victim. That fits. Mm-hmm. Personally. Yep. Oh, my God. I'm just still, I'm blown away. I hope all of you guys are blown away, too. <laughs> I, if, if you couldn't tell from my F-bomb reaction, so. Well, I didn't even tell you about anything of the cases I'm like, what we did you just fucking do to today? me? You're like, I buried the lead. Yeah, you did. Yeah, sure did. Sure yeah, did. Yeah, you did. Because I wanted your genuine reaction. You got it. I will tell you that in 1963, so two years after her disappearance, her parents did adopt an infant girl named Laura, and they did officially have a memorial service for Anne in 1999. Okay. Um, her father, Donald Burr, died in 2003 at the age of 77. Okay. And Beverly Burr died of congestive heart failure on September 13th, 2008 um, at her residence in Tacoma. Okay. Yep. So I just give a little, you know, but the siblings are all still alive. Of course. And would all still love to know. What happened exactly, to Anne Marie. Yes, what happened to her. Anne so, Marie. 
which is my I daughter's know. name. I know. Who's in third grade. I know. I'm sorry about that. And then you just head bundied me. You're not I d- sorry. I just. She's I, smiling, everybody. I, no, I mean, no. I'm not. Luckily, I'm not a person who has a trauma response right. to this type of thing other than the one from the suspense in the middle. But God, this is a, to me, this is a solved, unsolved case. I agree. Yes. I really don't like to bring unsolved cases unless we're trying to, you know, bring attention to them so they can be solved. But I hate leaving people without closure. But I feel like, I feel like we know, guys. Don't you feel like her parents know too? Yes. So she wanted that confirmation from Bundy when she wrote Mm -hmm. him. But there's just enough information and evidence that I feel like hopefully they found some comfort in knowing that, okay, this is what happened. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, he did make this admission in a therapeutic appointment. And that's yes. her. That's and, my baby girl. That's what happened. And we've got that. Here's the thing, though. That admission, I don't have the information and I tried to find it. But I don't know if her parents, I don't know when that admission from the doctor was if they ever knew brought about it. up. Yeah, I am, I am not sure at what point in time in the, the timeline that that came to light. I am I do believe that it happened after his execution. It did, I was just thinking that because those are therapeutic notes, that it's highly po- probable that none of that was released into, uh, posthumously. It was released right. after death because, because of- it would have been a violation correct. of his rights. Shit, mm-hmm. you're right. So we couldn't have asked him- more, you know, clarifying questions or yeah. anything like that because it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been known. Other than let's go with the caveat that stating something like that, even though you have a therapeutic relationship, should have resulted in that therapist reporting that to law enforcement. That's a very for valid additional point. investigation, and that wouldn't necessarily be um, confidential. Right, murder evidence of that type of a crime is not um, protected in the patient-client relationship. And there patient-doctor relationship. There were mandated reporter laws back then. I don't know if they were as stringent as they are Word. now. I get it. I hear you. So I wonder about that. And they're different for each state. As they well. are. They are. So that's an interesting piece that I hadn't considered. Also, which is interesting because I'm a man dated reporter but um correct yeah and I don't know if it was just a a psychological assessment where they're like okay let, or if it was a therapeutic treatment part you know I'm I'm not sure but we all know I mean many of us know Ted Bundy's story in the way that we have some Bundy experts who are things, fans of ours we people do. become very um uh, interested Engrossed. in one serial killer or another for, you know, you've got your Manson people, you've got your Dahmer people. We have a lot of uh, Bundy, I'm not going to call you fans, but maybe no, experts right. even amongst our listeners. So I'd love to hear some of their opinions on this. Like yeah. to me, it's a no brainer. He yeah. did it. This, yeah. this is, this is a solved unsolved. Well, and we know that in serial killings, it doesn't just all of a sudden trigger and, and turn on when they're 25. Right. Right. So there is things that happen in their childhood. A lot of times it's manifested in experimenting with killing animals first or being cruel to animals or I bet we would bizarre and appropriate sexual behavior. Yeah. Yep. I really think that there are probably plenty of child victims of serial killers that we are unaware of yeah. because they were just caught in adulthood when they had an MO of their adults victims. Right. Fair. So I'm, to me, this all tracks and there's no way that he just started with his darkness. And this would be right around pubescent age as well. That's typically when they start manifesting. 14. 14. 
13, 14, Access, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15. Paper mm-hmm. boy, stalking for weeks, yep. if not months. And she adored him. She would chase him on his bicycle. He was a nice looking kid. Yep. Yep. I pulled up a picture. Yes. Jesus, Charnel. Thanks. Can yeah. you bathe me or something? I can, I can wow. bathe you. I can give us give us another. Give me a bubble bath, please. Bath. You inspired this one for me. Oh. Um. If this is in a, if this is another one like that one, and I inspired you to this, I'm leaving. Yeah. You're just gonna well, hear a door shut, guys. Everyone probably remembers the poop potatoes from the holiday coverage. Yes, that the we mashed did. potatoes. Yes. Or the yeah. The. Well, if you guys the don't know, that were dumped in the toilet yes, and, and then, then fished out, mashed, and, and eaten for dinner. To the family at Christmas dinner. It prompted it like prompted that. my um, new rule that everybody shall taste test their own food at a family, family event. gatherings. Yes, yes. yep, it, and that went swimmingly for us this holiday season. As awesome. Well. No poop potatoes that I poison aware testers of. spoons up. Or my parents were willing to <laughs> eat poop potatoes because they they still ate everything. Okay, so right. I don't know, but. <sighs> police pop woman who peed on potatoes in Walmart. Oh, Why does God. everything happen in a Walmart? Exactly. Good question. Here, she doesn't even look like someone who would pee on potatoes. She's high. Here she is. Oh, we're going to find out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hold that on. looks like bath salts to me, Chanel. <laughs> I think it's just alcohol and weed, but it's in too gross of a Sometimes combination. It's too much. Those legal ones get you in trouble every time. This is why I read the article, though, because it starts oh, no. off with, that's the wrong kind of fertilizer, lady. <laughs> <laughs> Police have nabbed the woman who peed in a bin of potatoes in a western Pennsylvania Walmart last Wednesday. And this actually happened in 2019 as well. So it was not last Wednesday. It was Thank several God. Wednesdays ago. But a store employee spotted the top mama <laughs> in the <laughs> act and notified law enforcement immediately there's a woman pissing in the potatoes right potato pisser the curly haired brunette was captured on surveillance video entering the store and the west mifflin borough police department posted screen nabs on its twitter and website identification assistance please walmart incident cops captioned the image in a call for the community to help expose public enemy number one the shame spud soaker aka grace brown she was 20 at the time the shamed spud soaker the shamed spud soaker saw that post on social media going viral and she just turned herself in. i think that's a good idea ma'am she was identified the west mifflin police chief anthony uh oh god i'm gonna butcher that toplanac sorry tells the Washington Post, saying the woman came to the police station with her attorney and admitted that it was her in the video. Well, yeah, everyone's posting your name. Roll on the, tape. Yeah. So she was charged with criminal mischief, open lewdness, disorderly conduct, and public drunkenness. She was drunk. Those sound accurate yep. to me. This type of obscene conduct is outrageous, and we immediately disposed of the affected products Titles. and sanitized the area to ensure its cleanliness and safety for our customers. Just wash them. Walmart's. They grow potatoes and shit. I mean, it can't be any worse. That's the most ironic part of it all. Do y'all know what fertilizer is? Right. And urine <laughs> is actually it's 100 times cleaner than Right, than feces. our feces. Yep. So it's okay. These spuds were grown in fertilizer, but then peed on, rewashed, or thrown away when they could have just been rewashed. Right. 
yes. Yeah. People get upset when you talk about human fluids on their food. I know, but they refuse to admit that that's how we've survived all these years. That's right. Uh, the, the grass is always greener by the outhouse. A story by my grandpa. <laughs> Is. You can grow gorgeous flowers there. My husband has told me before when I'm questioning why we have to have the lawn fertilized, by the way, because he has turned into the old man that likes to have the he competitions. He very much has. He, yes, you yes, know. But you see how plush our lawn is it's in the summer. It's beautiful. You want to lay on it. Yes. It's not prickly. Michigan grass is soft, lovely grass anyway, but Charnel's is like a rug. And the neighbors notice and compliment him and it feeds his self-esteem. That's fantastic. For sure. Matt, I really like your yard. Yes. Thanks, I grew up myself. That Yes, I pay someone to fertilize it. And the dogs made a tiny hole playing in the oh yard once. God. And he threatened to tell me, threatened me that I will have to go fertilize it myself if I don't stop the dogs from making a hole in his precious yard. What will Matt do this summer when I come over and just roll about in the yard? Oh, he will love it. Okay. If you are appreciating his lawn. I will not dig any it. of it up. Just don't dig it up. But if you're, if you are just connecting Let's, with it. Do you want to make like Matt it? art? We will both wear white sundresses and roll around in the yard and frame them for him. Look how green your grass is with its it. natural dye. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And your ridiculous fertilizing. Because all of a sudden, they'll just show I up. I won't, however, fertilize your front yard. Okay. Well, unless you drink too much <laughs> and you don't want to walk inside to pee. Because that's a habit. I mean, out by the pool, I will not lie. The grass is very green by the pool. Urine will kill the grass. I would never do that. Oh, does it? <laughs> it has must be that good fertilizer that he pays someone to put on. Because it's never killed ours. Uh, where no. I, I, have a, I have a spot I go to. <laughs> Because I don't pee in my pool. It's gross. That's so funny. I'm dying right now. <laughs> you need an outhouse. We do. We need a bathroom in that garage. You do. Let's a put small that one, on like an up flush toilet That's or something. That's his next project. Okay. Yep, I think that'd be we'll great. We'll put it on his honey-do list. Yes. So the, to finish this article. Oh, the, sorry. No, that's okay. The distasteful story comes weeks after a woman was filmed licking and returning ice cream to a Texas Walmart shelf. Shelf. Do you remember that story? Yes. I remember that story. What a bitch. Mm -hmm. That, that just makes gross. me mad. Yep. Also, they had Indiana teens were spotted spitting into soda bottles and placing them back in a convenience store fridge. That's so gross. It just makes me not want. And then we've got the, the potato peer. I'll say this, at least like she peed on the potatoes, right? But most people do wash their produce before they cook it or whatnot. Yeah. And I actually don't eat potato skins. I know it's the best part for you, but I peel all I mine. I peel mine when I'm, yeah, mashed potatoes yeah, or something. Don't. If I make a baked potato, I might scrub it and not. But even yeah. then, whether I eat the skin or not might be questionable. Right. No, I'm but really potatoes, just in it for the butter and sour cream. Potatoes potato. are the perfect food. They're probably my favorite food because they, they can become so many things. They can. And in this case, they became human waste. They became a toilet. I yeah. don't. Potatoes. <laughs> they what can be anything with, you want them to. What is it with the potatoes and us lately? We're Now our, it's going to be our next sponsor, Spuds R Us or something. Idaho's best. Idaho's best. It's just going to be <laughs> Idaho. I need, now I want a t-shirt with two potatoes. <laughs> Michigan's best. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh, God. 
Yeah, so there, there's there's a crazy case for you, uh, crazy brain bath. I loved it. I will remember this case yeah. for a very long time. Yeah, this one this one really got me. Not a ton of details because it's, you know, solved, unsolved, but right. it, it is what it is. So, All right. Yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Head over to our um, website. What is, what's Charnel trying to say right now? Potato. Oh, that is what I wanted to say. Head over to our potatoes. Head over to the potato bin. <sighs> Drop trowel. No, don't no, do that. No, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> yes, head over to our website, crimecuriouspodcast.com. You can buy merch there. You can join Patreon there. You can donate for research for us through Buy Me a Coffee there. Um, you can see our faces. Oh, we, are, yes. we are there. We are um, in all our glory. You can also send us all of our case suggestions and everything through there as well. It takes us a while, but we try to get to them. I we have do. a couple that were suggested that I'm just pages into. So mm-hmm. hopefully soon I'll, I will be ready. I know them. I'm working on like three deep dives right oh, now. I know. One of us. which is a book, a couple of books actually that oh, I, I bought to. through Buy Me, uh, someone that donated $20 to us through Buy Me a Coffee. Awesome. And so I wrote her back and was like, just so you Thank know, you. I just purchased these two books. You just bought Charnel research material. Exactly. And so those are, are um, up in coming deep dives so yeah all right am i missing anything uh no so all right follow us on social media interact with us we message back we love it we we love you guys we do yes we love you guys so and in the meantime don't forget to keep it curious and keep listening bye-bye Are you sick of giving the special people in your life the same old lame gifts year after year? Well, I am here to help you, friends. You know if you're an avid listener of this podcast, at the beginning of each episode, I shake a genuine kangaroo scrotum sack for good luck. Now you can own your own genuine handmade kangaroo scrotum sack and not just a sack. Maybe you're looking for a bottle opener, a unique back scratcher, whatever it is that you're looking for, you can find it at rueballs.com and enter code CRIME10 for 10% off your order. That's R-O-O-B-A-L-L-S.com, promo code CRIME10 for 10% off your order. Keep it curious and keep it shaking.